This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. If I was to put a title on the text today, it would be Knowing the Vast Treasury of God's Love Towards You. Ephesians is a book known as one that is, that is dripping with the love and mercy of God. And so with this today, I want to explain for us what Paul means. There's a, as I said, there's a lot here. Um, he's packed a lot in and um, we're just going to go through it piece by piece and uh, by God's grace be edified. Uh, I'll be reading from verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his uh, incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And just like you, when I first read that, you're either awestruck or you don't know what's going on. And um, we're going to end or you're in in between there somewhere. Um, I want to imagine, uh, I want us to imagine for one second that, that, and this is sort of what Paul's doing. You've got You've got a loved one that's gone out to battle. They're in the thick of war. They're even behind enemy lines. And now you get one opportunity to send one letter and it might not even get there. And we can say that for Paul's day, that it's not necessarily true that you give a messenger a message. And unlike email where you click send and it sort of goes to them, that person has to walk possibly hundreds of miles or hand this thing on from person to person to get this letter to these people. But you have one opportunity to try and get a letter to a loved one that's behind enemy lines. Now, in my vast wisdom, I would be thinking, okay, keep your head down, keep your wits about you, make sure you check your supplies, you know, double, double check the defenses, something like that. But this is not where Paul goes. This is not the wisdom of God. That's my wisdom. And fortunately, we're not basing today off my wisdom. What God had in mind for the church of Ephesus, it, well, before it, he, it was going into a war and they were behind enemy lines. We spoke about this last time I was up, that the church in Ephesus is a highly volatile, highly evil, full of witchcraft, sorcery, false gods, you've got priests and priestesses of all other, other different gods, merchants selling false god paraphernalia, little idols everywhere. You've got statues staring at you everywhere you go and people cutting themselves even on the streets to their false gods. 
And then here comes a, a, a few evangelists, Priscilla and Aquila, and they start telling you about another hope. They start telling you about the man, Jesus Christ, who died but is now risen and who is forgiving you of all your sins if you but believe. Can you see the, the contrast there? The whole world is screaming a false gospel. And yet by God's grace, the message of the cross has penetrated your heart. But now you're looking around as this little church behind enemy lines. And, th and Paul's thinking, I need to give them something that's going to keep them going. There would have been a flurry of temptation, fear and hopelessness. Paul desires the Lord's people, though, to know the vast treasury of God's love towards them. That's what he wants to get across in this letter. Is that enough? Is that all? Well, that's what we're going to examine today. If you were to put it even more simple than that, Paul would, in, in, a, in a sense, say, I want you to know who you are in Christ. For to know Christ is to know the covenantal blessings that God has for you. He starts off by giving thanks to God. He's, he knows of these believers in Ephesus and he starts as, as, as every good Christian should when you know that a group of people have been saved by the grace and mercy of God and that it was a predestined act of him in eternity past as he covered for us in, in chapter 1. But he gives thanks to God. Not only does he give thanks to God for their faith, but he gives thanks for their love that they have towards other believers. And, and if, if, if you've got a mind for the scriptures, you know that from 1 John 4.20, this might have come to mind when I say that, why, like if you're thinking, why did he include this, this, this love for other believers? Like he's thanking God for their faith and their love. Well, 1 John 4.20 says this, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And so Paul is ecstatic that these people not only have faith, but that it's an active faith full of love towards the others in the community. And what a challenge for us here. Like one big happy family. Now he's remembering them in his prayers. And he keeps asking. He keeps asking something that God would do for them. And this is going to be the, the real clincher for today. The, the thing that he's asking. As I said, it's not practical knowledge like I would do if I was giving a letter to someone over, over along the behind battle lines. But, but he's going to be asking God to bless them in a very specific way. But before that, I want to just stress for you the power of prayer. Because if you don't believe that prayer is important, then you're probably not going to pray. If you don't understand its significance in the life of the believer, then we've probably already failed in his prayer to them because you're not going to really feel the weight of what's happening, what's transpiring when Paul commits his heart to lay down for them on his knees and lift up this uh, appeal to God. And so I want to I maybe give an example of prayer like this. Let's say we have two farmers, there's two houses, four acres on either side of the house. You've got one farmer who has a leaky bucket and he's laid out his crop, they're little, little saplings, and the other one, he's got a job to do, it's a little bit different. But the, the, the farmer with the leaky bucket, 
from before, before the day starts, before the sun's up, he fills up that bucket, runs out to a plant before it all leaks, and he tosses it on it and then runs back and does it again and again and again, and he's still working well into the, well into the dark. Right, but the other farmer, he has to give up about three to four hours of his time each day, and he has to go and stand out and wait at his fence because the water truck's coming, the truck full of water is coming past. And if he misses it, it just keeps driving and his crop is ruined. But he faithfully goes out there each morning. He stands at the gate and he waits. The truck comes in, pulls into his driveway. It's done in an hour. And I asked Natalie this question through the week. I said, who works harder? And she's like, the the truck's more efficient. But but the guy with the leaky bucket, he's working a lot harder. And and honestly, if, if you're a Christian, you're listening to this now, Sometimes I feel life can be like that for us. We are running backwards and forwards. We think we're getting so much done, yet getting nowhere. But if we just stop, we go out and wait on the Lord. We get on our knees like Paul is doing, and we're praying for a people. We're praying for ourselves. The power of God, then, is involved in your workings. And, you, and, and, you know, the farmer could be out there griping by the fence, saying, well, I have to waste up to four hours waiting. But at the end of the day, the result is clear. And obviously, we're building a relationship with God as we're speaking with Him, as we're communing with Him. And so this is what Paul is doing for these people. And he's asking something. His prayer first addresses its object, training himself upon the Father. Also, and inseparably includes Christ, His Son. And if you remembered from quite a number of weeks ago, I said that a relationship with God cannot exist outside of the working power of Jesus in your life. You do not have the Father if you do not have the Son. And you take that message out to this world and you will cop abuse. How dare you tell me that I can't know our God without knowing Jesus But Paul has stressed this all through Ephesians, that he includes the Father and the Son, and he puts them together in the relationship that we have with God inseparably, inseparably. And so he trains himself in his prayer first to God the Father, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, previously stated in Ephesians 1 and 3, and I have to say this because it's it's mind-boggling, Remember, he's already previously said that he has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I remember pressing that home last time I was up here. But then Paul's now saying he's asking for something else, but you've already told everybody that they've got everything they need in Jesus. So what's, what's being asked? What is it that Paul's coming to here? And for us who don't remember... The blessings that we have in Christ are these. You you have been chosen in him before the creation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on you. You are included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit 
Paul, what more could God be giving us? What more could we need? We have everything, don't we? We have the gospel. We have Jesus. We have our faith. Verse 17 reads that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Is anything being added? Nope. That you may know him better. That's what he's asking. I want to liken it to this. We can have the gospel and know its truths. Maybe I could say this. We, could know, we can know Jesus. We can repent of our sins just as you would reach out and grab a watermelon, pop it on your lap. I have it. It's mine. But I want to add something to that. And I have to preface that. I'm not saying add to your salvation. That's not Paul's point today. There is nothing we can add. We have all the spiritual blessings in Christ already. But it's not enough to just hold that watermelon. What do you want to do when you have a big watermelon on your lap? You want to get inside. You want to rip the skin open. You want to eat the life-giving, nutrient-sweet juices of that watermelon. And you want to enjoy every moment of it. If you're Jack, you're going to get through the whole thing, surprisingly. But I want to say for some of us, that's sort of where it stops. You've, you've, you've got your faith. You, aren't, you have a knowledge, a working knowledge of Jesus. You trust Jesus died for your sin. You've repented of your sin. And your faith is just sitting there. If any of you remember 1 Corinthians 3.15, I'll say this. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as one through the fire. What do I mean? There are people who have enough faith to get to heaven, but when God looks upon your life, you contribute nothing to the kingdom. You had no great depth of spiritual reality, and so by God's grace, you are saved. You get the same gift all of us do, and that is salvation. Praise God for that. But you come through as one, uh, as one through fire, meaning the works that you did for yourself that didn't contribute to the eternal commission that Christ has given his people, all that's gone. And so instead of maybe a mansion in heaven, you get a cardboard box, if I could put it in a very crude understanding. Will you feel bad about that? No, you're in heaven. Praise God. You'll say he deserved or she deserved what she got for her work in Christ. But me, I'm satisfied with what I've got. But while we're here, we don't need to be satisfied. We can press on in our faith, on in our relationship. And if we heed what Paul is saying here right now, we're actually going to get somewhere. We're not going to be as one through the fire. It would be impossible if you understand what Paul is saying to enter heaven as one just who just made it, just with faith. Because once you tear open the flesh of faith, once you dive into a relationship with God in newness, you won't be the same. You will not be the same. So we're all asking, well, let's get to that part of the service. I want to know how to bear some fruit. What specifically is Paul asking? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So the first 
question I need to answer is, what on earth is the eyes of your heart? It's been described as this. It's the center of one's mind. It is the wholeness of will, your will, your drive, your enthusiasm. Paul wants that. He prays that that, the eyes of your heart, may be enlightened. And it also um, can mean spirit, the very spirit, the core of you. He wants that to be spoken into before the next words that, he, that he's about to bring forth, which is verse 18 and 19. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened that you may know first the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his uh, incomparably great uh, great power for us who believe. First is this. We want to we burrow into our faith. We want to suck out as much of what God has to give us. The first thing Paul prays for these people in Ephesus who are behind enemy lines is that you know the certain hope you have in Jesus Christ. You know what's coming. You know that heaven awaits you. You know that your sins are forgiven and that you are a child of God. That alone transforms a person. That alone changes a person. But he doesn't stop there. He says also that his glorious, of the glorious inheritance in his people. There's a bit of a trick there, though. I have read this time and time again, and I go, yes, an inheritance that's coming for me. That is not what this verse is saying. It's not an inheritance that you're getting. Look at the words. His glorious inheritance in his people, not for his people. What's being described is you are his inheritance. He's waiting for you. He loves you. He yearns to have you in the kingdom of God with him, his kingdom, living side by side. This is the inheritance that God is having for us. We are his. That's mind-blowing. Not only that I have a certain hope, but that God loves me. He calls me a sinner, his inheritance. He's desirous of you, brothers and sisters. It's the second reason to be transformed. And the third reason is this. To know his incomparably great power for us who believe. You know, you don't want to underestimate yourself. Because what Paul is saying here, if we read on in verse 19, is that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, and I used to stop there in my reading and just just sort of of keep keep reading and not really think through, but not just Jesus' rising from the dead, which is incredible enough that God, who can speak into existence that which is non-existent, that can bring to life that which is dead, that's amazing. But not only that, the same power that brought Jesus from the, back from the dead, yes, but also the one that caused him the same power to ascend to the right side of God in heaven. That is the power that is in working in us right now. And you may go to me, I have heard what you said, Dan, and I'm not there yet. I don't feel that way. 
I'm struggling with what you yeah, a certain hope. I am God's beloved inheritance, and there is a power manifest in me that is powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead and take him, ascend him to the highest pinnacle of creation, to the throne of God, and I don't, I don't feel that. This is the very purpose of the letter. Pray, Paul is praying that they do receive that, that they understand that. And like I said, we can have that intellectual, external understanding of that of the covenant blessing that you have access to now, but it's not enough to just understand it. We need to pray that we comprehend it fully, fully comprehend it, take more and more of it. To know the vast treasury of God's love towards us, I want you to know who you are in Christ. Maybe I could put it another way. As a Christian, you start your journey off. Let's, let's just assume you've entered through the gates of heaven. And I'm talking sort of you've, 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 you've come to faith. And Jesus takes you by the hand and he says, oh, I want to show you something. I want to show you something special. And he takes you down the stairs in his kingdom. And he says, this is the treasure that I have for you. This is one hall of treasure. And you're looking at it going, oh, wow. I didn't know. I didn't deserve. I don't deserve anything from you, Jesus. I don't deserve anything from you. And he goes, it "Doesn't matter. I love you. My, my my death was was to redeem you and bless you, and this is yours." And some of us, unfortunately, will stop there and we'll enjoy that. But the the point of what Paul's getting to is that Jesus wants to take you further into that understanding into more and more halls of the treasury of God and the riches of his blessing and his mercy upon your life and that you just become filled daily more and more with what God has in store for you, what he's doing in you right now and the the certain hope that you have is becoming more and more certain. That's what we need. That's the vision that can be missing from so many Christians' lives. How loosely would we hold our lives in this world and instead live unto God if we got a picture and a view of of this mercy that God's showing us, this power that's at work? How much joy would we we, uh, not just know about, but experience in being wrapped up in God's love? Paul knew he could pray no greater prayer for those surrounded by the influences of this world. You need more of the love of God. You need more of what he has in store for you and what's at work, in work, with, you, at work with you right now. That's what you need that's going to get you through this battle. You see, you give the prodigal son wealth and power and he will squander it all. He'll go out and party and squander it all. But give a child motivated by love a vision and there will be no stopping him. Do you get me? You give, uh, you, give, you give a prodigal son something and they're going to squander it. But if we can capture a vision of what God has in store for us, motivated by love and that vision is resolute, there is no stopping us. We hear this time and time again with entrepreneurs. You know, like I grew up poor and, and then I gave it all my all 100 hours a week and, and then now look at me, you know, and, and praise God for the, for the hard work and that paid off. But for us, 
we have so much more reason. We're not motivated by a desire for money so much, a desire for power so much. Paul is requesting that you know the love of God. You know the certain hope, the glorious inheritance that you are to God and the mighty power at work. As it said in verse 7, so that you may know him better. Hear me now. He's not saying to add anything. He just wants you to understand what you already have. Jesus taking you further through the treasury that he has in store for you. Importantly, though, Paul does desire that God's people also extinguish fear in Ephesus and in us. This has to be said. The reason Christ is magnified at the end of this prayer is because he, he wants to extinguish the fear that was pervasive at this time for these people. These people had every reason to fear the multiple false gods. You imagine being brought up as a child to believe that that all of these gods that your family worships, they all have their own power, they all have their own influence, and they are cutting and vying for power in the heavenlies. And then Paul comes along and says, no, garbage. Jesus has ascended to the place of authority. Jesus is the one in control in this age and the next. Can you imagine how that just destroys the power that fear has over us? And your fear might not be false gods. There may be other things in your life right now that you're thinking of right now. And you need to just see Christ over that fear. You need to see Christ far above what's going on here and realize the inheritance that you have. Give it to Christ. Know that he is sufficient, that he is enough. Because he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything, for the church. Notice Paul finished the gospel there as well. The first part of what I read, he talked about Jesus' death and the salvation that we have, the forgiveness that we have through his death, and now he's bringing up the resurrection and the ascension to glory. Can't help himself, even in prayer, to continue to preach the gospel to his people. In him, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, and then he has to keep going. If we understand what a stronghold is, this is what he's speaking into in this scenario. A stronghold is something that is erected in the mind that, that, that applies pressure against Christ. So we know the reality. Like I keep going back to this illustration, we know the reality, but we need to go deeper than that. We need to be in a relationship with God in a, in a, in a way that is more tangible than what we have. It's not to say you're unsaved. Like I said, is that one through fire. Like you can be that one and still get to heaven. Faith is the only thing that saves. But we want more. Let us be children that are greedy for the love of our Father. That's a good greedy. You know what I mean? Like you want more of Dad. You want to spend more. You want a greater and more deep relationship with Him. But a stronghold is something that has erected itself in your heart or mind that contests against the power and authority of Christ. And I gave a great, I've got a great example here, one that affects me. And it's when I'm looking across at somebody and I'm like, I should witness to this person. They don't know Jesus. I don't know if you've been in this situation 
or whether you've just had this, like, this pressure before, but what begins to happen in your mind? A stronghold begins to erect. Oh, no, I might, I might, uh, I might put them off. Uh, it's not the right time. Um, oh, they, they might think I'm weird, you know, like, like my pride. I'm trying to fight, wrestle my pride down and say, you know, you don't mean that much. Who cares if they don't think highly of you? You know, all of these thoughts are running through my mind. And I just thought I would use that because one I struggle with this is a perfect example of a stronghold that you have in your mind. It doesn't exist. Do you imagine if we saw Christ for who he, who he is, we look at a person, we have pity upon them, and we think, whether whatever they think of me, who cares? They need Jesus. I'm going to preach the gospel. But even now, as I say that, you're like, oh, Dan, that's heavy. Like, I'm not there yet. I can't do that. That's fine. It's just an example of a stronghold that you have in your mind. Jesus is more important than that fear. Maybe another fear is the comfort that we get from the world. An easy one I could think of was TV. I need TV just to relax me. Or I need this certain thing to really give me that fullness and that wholeness that I need at the end of the day. Maybe it's not healthy. But there's a stronghold there saying, well, no, you need, you need Jesus and something else to just feel that, that normality at times. Um, and and a, I mean more of like a, I guess, a worldly sense, like, a, like something that, that's probably not healthy for your, for your body. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll lean on those things when really we may not need them. Another one is, is fear of losing income to support the church. That's a real fear people have. Or maybe you've got a little bit left over, you can cut a day of, of work and you can come and work for a church or, or give a couple of days extra here and there doesn't have to be tangible like it doesn't have to be money we can serve the lord in a myriad of ways we could watch tv or or we could we could go out and, and email an old friend and, and hopefully spark up a conversation about jesus you know what i mean like there's there's a myriad of ways that we can serve the lord and love the lord but there's a real fear for people they're like well i don't want to i don't want to give up on my finances you know i need this for the future money's a, money has a strong hold over humanity jesus said this the root of many kinds of evil but who are we ultimately trusting? You know, when, when, when the word says give sacrificially, like what does that mean? Are we? Or do we just sort of brush that off and go, well, Lord, you don't understand my situation. Like I need this for, for whatever reason. And, and I'm not talking about someone who's just living on the edge here. Like I'm talking about someone who's got excess. You know, and, and you, just think, you just think, well, who, who gave you the mind in order to, 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 to have an employer hire you? Who gave you the hands and the feet to go to that job each day and have the health in your body to, to sustain the work? I mean, that's all from God. There's not really, there's never been a day in your life where you've honestly sustained yourself and kept yourself going. God has been watching you and knitted you in the womb. From your birth, he's been with you. And yet we hold on to these things, these strongholds, as though they are the be-all and end-all. And again, you might be thinking, Dan, this is heavy. I'm not there yet. That's Paul's point. Let's pray for more of this. <laughs> Some of us may even fear the evil around us. And yes, be alert. Satan is a roaring lion looking to devour, but the lion of Judah, who is guardian and lover of your eternal soul, will soon replace this impotent uh, fraud under his feet. 
This is the reality that Paul wants us to understand. He wants us to look ahead at what's to come. He wants us to understand who we are in Christ and the covenantal blessings, the sure and certain hope that we have, the love that God has for us. He wants you to know that there is power in you that overcomes this entire system, this entire world. And finally, he touches on Jesus being the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, meaning that Christ is visibly here on this earth as as his church through the proclamation of the gospel, through the love that you each of you have for one another and through the love that you show this broken and lost world. You are Jesus' hands and feet. We have the commission. Again, you see all this imagery that Paul's giving us is like just, wow, Lord, there is such a call. Where am I at? Do I understand these spiritual blessings? Do I have hold of them? Or am I still sort of on the outer and haven't yet borrowed into the goodness of God, the sweetness that is there. And as I said, not something, and I used to do this, not like, Lord, give me more power as though God is begrudgingly going to give me more of his spirit to be able to even get up here and preach, but that I already have it within me. It's there. I just don't see it yet. I haven't walked far enough with Christ into the treasury of the blessings that God already has because I have faith in Jesus Christ. All spiritual blessings have been given to us already because of our relationship with him. Ephesians uh, 3, 14 and 17 puts it well. You just imagine Paul doing this now for these people. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's just an enlargening of what you have. He's not saying, Lord, I pray that they would believe in Jesus for the first time. He's saying, no, give them more of what they already have. I just want to read some last verses for us today, just to to give us a, a, a quick glimpse of what God has had for us the whole time since you first put your faith in Jesus. And it is this, Psalm 139, 5 to 10. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens... You are there. If I, may, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not afraid, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And finally, John 10, 14, 15 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. This was the Lord God who created heaven and earth that has, that has sung this over his people as I read that just now. You can't escape God's love. 
you can't hide from it, that your awareness of that love and the, the affection that he has to you, that can be hindered. That can be clouded by the world, fear, strongholds, whatever the excuse may be. And what Paul says is it's time to pray that we have a greater understanding, greater depth. And this is maybe my last point. It's not enough to hold these truths, but my prayer is these truths will take hold of you. Couldn't have been put better and was not made up by me. Know the vast treasury of God's love towards you. Pray for others that we together may be alive, elated in anticipation as a bride is on the day she gets married. Because the expectation God has for you to come to him, you're his inheritance, is a far greater love than any groom for his bride. This is a God who only knows love, who has done nothing but forgiven you and is waiting expectantly for your coming into his kingdom. Let's pray.